Hello, you're listening to the Hammersley Brothers e-commerce podcast. If some of our discussions and tips are working for you, why don't you grab a 15-minute call with us at ecommercecall.com. We'll see whether we can help scale your e-commerce business. We will quickly see if we're a fit or whether we can recommend someone else to get you where you need to go. The worst case is you'll have a fun 15-minute chat and regardless, you'll come away understanding a lot more about your business. Book a call at ecommercecall.com. Hello and welcome to the Hammersley Brothers e-commerce podcast. Today, Ian is interviewing Oliver Spark. Oliver grew the white company from 6 million to 50 million and now has created and built Sweet Analytics. So let's get started. So well, wel- welcome to the podcast, Ollie. It's, um, it's good to have you here. You and I have known each other for a while and had lots of conversations about analytics and KPIs and data and, and all sorts of wonderful. So, so give everyone a, just an intro of who you are and okay, uh, well, what you're up to. It's very nice to be on is the answer because as you say, yeah, I've, I've read the book. I've, you know, I'm quite, you know, I'm a, you know, followed, followed the, the career, read, you know, a big fan of the book, to be honest. So, um, you know, I, I suppose I'm, um, we're talking now really because I have a business called Sweet Analytics, um, which is a customer uh, and marketing analytics platform and agency. But I suppose real, my real background is I'm a retailer and, you know, I suppose probably my major calling card is I ran the white company um, in the early days. And I think really, you know, everything I do comes from that real retail experience. So though we're probably going to talk about data and analytics, you know, my real sort of, you know, insight in life is, is trying to help, you know, businesses grow. And actually that's what really excites me. So mm-hmm. though I'm, you know, probably going to talk about data, or, you know, the big thing I think we both feel is that we're, we're, you know, trying to help people, whether it's go from 1 million to 2 million or 5 million to 10 million or, or whatever it is, and trying to provide the, the insight and levers for people to do that. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. So we'll, I think we'll, we'll definitely want to talk a bit about the white company and in a minute and the challenges and things. But just before we, we talk about that, earlier when we were chatting, just off, off the record, we were, we were talking about Black Friday. And because uh, it's we're, we're, we're literally in the uh, well, just coming to the end of the Black Friday period. And um, and, and what's interesting, because we have access to lots and lots of analytics. So do you. And yeah. so you, we were just having a chat about Black Friday. And obviously, remembering last year that the shops were shut. And yeah. so anyone who's doing better Black Fridays this year than they did last year, in my opinion, is pretty good. But what, what's your opinion on Black Friday this year? How did it happen? Yeah, I think I think it was always going to be really interesting. I mean, it's always interesting, but but you know, I think it was particularly interesting because you know, if we look at it on a sort of two year perspective, people obviously had a really good Black Friday last year. As a most, you know, I think people had a good year if you're looking at it from a direct consumer perspective without the shops. So if that's sort of you know, we've got a lot of clients who have either migrated from wholesale into DTC or were were D to you know direct consumer already. So, you know, we've we've got about hundred shops on the platform now. And you know, I think we we looked at it and about 58% of them are up against two, 2020. So, mm-hmm. you know, fractionally more are winners than than slight losers. But 
when you actually look back to 2019, I think we've got 80% of people up. So, mm. you know, I think it's it's been an interesting period. And I, I think, you know, we were talking, you know, for people to be up, given what ha- happened in 20, is probably a pretty decent performance. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, definitely. And, and we, we were also just chatting about whether or not you recruit new customers in Black Friday or, or is it, because traditionally for us, it was always about getting your existing customers to buy again. And so if you had really big customer house files, you know, you, you'd do well with Black Friday. Um, and, but you were saying that, that, that you've seen quite a bit of recruitment this year. Yeah, it, it was actually one of the things I was really interested in coming into the period. There were, there were two things I think that really happened this year. One was, the, as we all know, Black Friday, you know, no longer is it four days. You know, we've been looking at the analysis on an eight-day period, so effectively the Monday through to the following Monday, because, you know, we had lots of clients who were pushing out and, you know, some even started on, on the Monday before Cyber Monday. And, you know, during that week, I think there was just a general trend of people going earlier because they feel the traffic's out there and, you know, you can't really wait just to, to launch your offer on the Thursday night. Um, so, so that was really important. And, but, you know, across that period, you know, we, again, the people who were winning weren't just winning because they had built up their existing customer files, you know, during the period but they continued recruiting in, uh, and were up in recruitment in, in not quite as many, not quite as high a proportion as the people who were winning overall. But, mm. you know, there was still a decent proportion that were up on their acquisition as well. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's, such a, it's such a clever timing, really, because it's close enough to Christmas to, to, you know, to have Christmas in your... And I think this year, everybody's buying earlier, whereas the trends, I think, probably go back, you know, before COVID, people were leaving it later and later to buy for Christmas. I know I was. And then, uh, obviously, we're all worried about stock now, aren't we? So we think we don't want to miss out. Better go and do my Christmas shopping early. <laughs> it is the two things. It's, it's Christmas, Christmas shopping early. And then I think, as you said, you know, you'd had four deliveries this morning. Um, I know. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, it, yeah. that doesn't seem to be, you know, the the old message of, gosh, will, your, will things be delivered um, seems to have, you know, it's become so much more efficient, you know, if I was looking yeah. back over, over time, it, it, you know, delivery is amazing these days. So it it's is. less of a factor. So, you know, the factors really are much more about stock availability um, at the moment. And then, you know, mm. in terms of the delivery, delivery side, I think people believe delivery will happen, yeah. but, but you yeah. know, there's no point waiting as, you know, quite as late as perhaps. It no. Used yeah. No, I, yeah, we, we were laughing because I had a conference call this morning, and in the space of forty-five minutes, I had four separate deliveries arriving, and um, and it was all stupid little things as well, and none of them were for me; they were all from for Zoe, my my partner. So, <laughs> I was interrupted. Yeah. On, on your on your, I'm sure you know, addressed to you, but but maybe. But maybe <laughs> yeah, not. probably. Um, but one, one day, one day, perhaps we'll, we'll next time we'll, we'll offline. We'll talk about how we can cons, cons, can consolidate all of that. Yeah, I know. That would, be, that would be efficiency. Yeah, that's the next business. That's, that's it. it. Well, that's where that's where we've all given up retailing, and it's all done by the marketplaces. And you've only got to go one yeah. place. So, um, you know, maybe, let's, let's hope that's not for a while. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Right. So. Back, so get into to to retail and right. and the background and and how this wealth of knowledge has 
has come about. So what? So just go back a bit in your in your career then. Gosh, I, I suppose. Um, so I became a retailer in two thousand, which you know, um, off the back of being an accountant before that, and then working for uh, Scottish Newcastle, which was you know Foster's John Smith's, um, and I crossed over from being an accountant into working in the marketing department at that point. And then, being honest, I, I was very lucky. I, um, I bumped into, I knew Nick Wheeler of Charles Tirrett a little bit, um, and bumped into him and his wife called Chrissy, who had started the White Company. And she and my wife were talking, and they'd both recently had uh, children. And Chrissy said she wanted uh, to have an MD, and my wife said, I'll send my husband off, and he can go and do it for you. So um, in the usual way, there was no great structure to it. Um, and then very luckily, I sort of crossed over from, you know, big business into, at that point, what was quite a small retailer. Um, How big was it then at that time? So, so I turned up when we were, it was just reached 6 million um, in turnover. Yeah. So, um, you know, it made good progress, you know, from, you know, as many of those sort of early mail order businesses did mm. at that stage, which is where so it was. It, was it predominantly mail order then at that time? Is it, it just it, mail order? It was just mail order. And and I think, you know, one of the first things I was involved in was, you know, we, you know, we weren't quite in the dot-com crash, but, you know, we were, they were doing a website with Computer Associates, which was, a you know, an American Goliath of a, of a business. Um, and so, you know, we didn't even have a, didn't even have a internet um, website at that point. Right. So, you know, it was very much the move from, you know, that single channel approach into you know the beginning of multi-channel and we did internet first was the was the beginning of I that see. and so you so that, and then your concessions came later did it so you we, we, we did stores yeah about two to three years in and uh, you know very happy to talk about you know we did stores because you know i was lucky i went to a, a conference and you know we going back to growth we had sort of i was beginning to understand how you know, direct businesses worked from a numbers perspective. Um, and I had a very simple, you know, we had a really simple sort of, you know, idea of growing the business at 40% a year. And, you know, my spreadsheet, even I could do a spreadsheet that went 1.4, five times from six. And the numbers, as we know, get bigger every year, but, you know, the actual differential gets bigger every year. And, so really, it was the challenge then of, of under, once I began to understand really what was going on was, you know, how on earth did I, you know, start adding 10 million to turnover every year when, you know, my initial target was to add 2 million to turnover yeah. every year. And yeah. that, that was really the big, you know, that's what led us into multi-channel. Um, because, I see. Um, and that's why we did shops, et cetera. So you, because you had to, you, you had to get the bigger growth. Well, I was going back to the sort of conference point. You know, there was a guy who came over from America who worked for Williams Sonoma. I don't know if you yeah. know big, big. Yeah. And, and they were the sort of, you know, Pottery Barn, Williams Sonoma. They were the multi-channel experts. And he came along and it, I remember you know, really clearly he told us that, you know, if a customer shopped in one channel, they'd spent $180, two channels, $240, and three channels, $360. And I was at the point of having two, just one proper channel mail order, getting the internet going, but early days. Yeah. And I'd, I'd hit a ceiling. I didn't know how to grow fast enough. So mm. when this person told me all I had to do was open some shops on top of that, yeah. 
and it had a multiplicatory effect. Hallelujah. So that's that's how we got going, and that's what that's what we did. Because because I, I mean the White Company. Whenever we say the White Company, because we talk about the White Company loads in our podcasts and our in the book, and and it's something that that definitely resonates with people in the e-commerce industry because they've got the the job to be done right. They weren't selling a you know a, a candle. They were selling a lifestyle. They were selling this emotional feeling. And so, where did that come from? Then, how did you get that? Yeah, I think I think there are two two elements of that. I mean, you know, we weren't we weren't. It sounds sounds a bit strange, but we weren't really um, product innovators. We were very good. Chrissy's brilliant. Got a brilliant eye, and 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 hence was really able to interpret you know, what the, the customer really wanted. So we had that bit that we, you know, you know, there were other brands out there, you know, for instance, selling candles. And what we did was we produced the candle at half the price, but mm-hmm. still hit the brand, the brand sweet spot. And that was mm-hmm. our, you know, affordable luxury to use that phrase was our, you know, our killing, you know, killer card, to be honest. Um, so that really helped us. And, and, and that whole point about lifestyle um, and then the other point, you know, boringly back to metrics, is that, you know, bed and bath only had a certain repeat rate. And, you know, it was great getting all these customers, but if they only, you know, came back to you once every 18 months, then, you know, the model didn't work sending out catalogs yeah. all the time. So the whole levers for growth around product were, were really vital for us. And, mm. you know, that's what took us into clothes as the sort of, you know, final part of that journey was, you know, where do we feel the brand could stretch? And, and mm. you know, loungewear, as it was called at the time, was, was you know, we could connect it back to bed and bath quite nicely, yeah. but it had completely different metrics in terms of customer retention and, yeah. and repeat rate. So, yeah. Life and customer value. I mean, it's often, it's like the the, the hidden sort of silver bullet i think sometimes isn't it the lifting customer value because obviously it allows you to have the confidence to spend more to recruit the customer because you know you they're going to come back and yeah and, i mean completely and and you know from our perspective you know going back to my sort of 1.4 times spreadsheet it was it was really simple you know it, but i you know until my real problem came when you know when we were still one channel and we used to recruit in the old days by cold lists and inserts. And that was pretty much what we did. And we built our house file and then we kept on doing cold lists. And, you know, I did a, you know, I started pushing up the amount of cold lists. And then I went, you know, I thought I understood how that worked. And I thought that that, that line was just a straight line. If I just did 750,000 of them, I'd get the same results as I did when I had 100,000 of them. And it, unfortunately, it wasn't quite such a straight line. So, um but the, the real learn out of that was, you know, from that, actually for the long-term growth of the business, once we, we you know, we understood that, we, we realized we could actually lose money on a first customer on the basis that actually we recovered that money in the mm. next nine months. And then that gave you future growth in the years to come. And yeah. that was the key part for our model was was understanding those dynamics. That's, that's really interesting. Is so you, so you you have the confidence. I mean, I often find you look back at some of the other businesses. I mean, obviously the white companies white companies been going for a long time, but you you had the confidence to invest then, didn't you? And so you were you were recruiting at a at a comfortable loss, 
knowing that you were not selling a product, you were buying a customer. You know, it, you it, yeah, yeah, exactly as you say. And and actually, then the the real reason, going back to your point about stores, was there was a certain point where I realised we couldn't recruit any more customers via those channels. Yeah, and. That's why when the William Sonoma man came along and told me that this multiplication effect was available, that was, you know, music to my ears because I couldn't work, you know, I'd, I'd, yeah. I'd maxed out cold lists, I'd maxed out inserts, mm. I knew how much I could afford to lose and I knew, you know, I didn't have that, I couldn't produce the growth I needed uh, without having something new to do and yeah. I was lucky, it right, right, right thing came yeah. at the right time. Well, that's interesting because there was this... Well, the reason why we talk about the white company often is because ultimately we knew that it was you were doing offers all the time, weren't you? You you were you were an offer-led business, um, and you were doing some really good discounts and incentives for existing customers, but you didn't look like a discount or an offer-led company. You looked totally different, and I, and I and we always use white company as that. I think it, it it was a it's a really interesting dynamic and and you know the you know it was one of my early lessons and you know I really didn't know much about creative or producing you know direct mail catalogs when I walked through the door uh, and you know I remember Chrissy very early on saying to me you know what's the offer uh, and you know clearly none of us want brands and you know going back to Black Friday none of us want to be going down the offers path all the time but we effectively built a standard offer into the model yeah. and. You know, it, 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 unfortunately, you know, offers sell, and mm. and you know, once you understand how that offer works and what the costs of it are, etc., then you know, we'd all like not to have offers. It'd be, it, but it's naive to think you don't need an offer. Mm. That's, I think you you are absolutely spot on there. And but, but the, you know, the, what the white company did well was they got the desirability right, so people fell in love with the product. And then they brought in the offer architecture to 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 really just give them that little nudge, that push, and um, and, and that's why it, that's why it works. But it, you know, if if the desirability isn't there, you know, you can't then say, oh, here's an offer. You know, they've got to they've got to want it, and then the offer then it gets the almost buyers. But I think the other thing with the white company was that nobody needs the products; they want them, <laughs> they don't need them. So they're looking for a rational reason to buy them, to convince themselves emotionally. And that's where the offer architect, oh, there's an offer, there's a deal on at the moment, I better go and get it now, I don't want to miss out. You're, you're right. And I think, you know, it's exactly that. It's that brand values, you know, what, you know, in other things I've done later in my career, I think I just sort of understood, you know, the, the brand having the right feel and the right fit, you know, I, I always use the word sensibility for the white company. Um, you know, we, you know, we understood who the you know who the customer was. The customer liked us. You know, there was a famous um, comment which we heard once, which is absolutely true because we did our first store um, at the back of um, Peter Jones um, in, in Sloan Square, mm. and, and in lots of ways, you know, the statement always was, you know, if John Lewis had really understood and had the same sensibility as us, then we should never have existed. Mm. because you know we started in sheets you know John Lewis sold more white sheets than anyone else and we came up and sold white sheets now you know why were our white sheets more desirable than John Lewis was because actually Chrissy just had this eye and sensibility and we created this brand so as you say it's the emotional aspect that 
you know, we were very lucky. We 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 hit the space at the right yeah. time. Um, so she she that. knew she understood what the customers wanted, and and I, I've seen this in in other e-commerce businesses that certain businesses that have really scaled was because the the owners really knew the job to be done. They really understand where the where the customer was. You got that right. Yeah, it's, it's sort of, I, I sort of, sometimes I sort of, like, I call it the sort of zeitgeist. It's just sometimes brands get into the zeitgeist. You know, they can have been around for years and then suddenly they they really ramp up. Um, you know, and there's a French brand, you know, Neptune, which is one I, I admire a lot. Mm. And, you know, Neptune were around for years. I mean, you know, and then now, you know, they're a hugely scaled business, but, you know, I, I met the guys when they were selling garden furniture to us. Really? Um, and, you know, you look at the, the, what they've created as a lifestyle brand and then how much that then resonates within the consumer. And, you know, you, that's what it is. You just somehow some brands get into the zeitgeist. Mm. And, um, I, I and totally agree. And, the, and, the, and the, the other way, I think the thing also is you need customers to build the brand. The brand is is based around the customer. So if you can recruit customers like you did with the white company you know you had you had a big customer database and that's where the brand comes from it's it's having customers in the first place yes uh, exactly and and building the, the, that, that those customers to be honest so that you you know each year you've got an inherent growth rate mm. going back you know i think it was you know it was a really you know i personally was you know we were we were very clear on what our targets were for growth and that we had to remain profitable. So, you know, it was a it was a really good discipline for, for myself, really, about, you know, how you had to understand all the metrics to actually deliver those numbers. Mm. Um, and it's not a formula, but, you know, you at least have to have a plan yeah. that, that you understand. Um, yeah, it's a bit like the target sheet. We, we talk about the target sheet so much, and it, it, it's like, okay, we're doing 5 million now, want to get to 20 million this is what the maths look like and it and it, you know there's no bs behind it you can't hide it. it's not going to happen by accident you know it's going to happen by actually what are the maths you know and, the, and how can we do it exactly i mean i i you know put a lot of my you know understanding down to there's a guy called jim fulton who is um you know he's one of the uh he hides away in America and you can't even find him on LinkedIn and yeah. he worked for white company, Bowdoin, Land's End, everybody really. He's, he's, he was great. And he, he had this thing called, you know, this spreadsheet, which explained it to me, um, which I called the magic spreadsheet because yeah. finally I actually understood what I was, what I was talking about and how <laughs> more, most importantly, it showed me that on the customer metrics that I had, I wasn't going to achieve my target. Mm. And, and, you know that's the that's the real point you've got to get away from you know it's easy to say i'm going to grow up 40 percent a year but until i know how many customers i need to recruit this year and the next year and what those customers will do for my business in future years you know you're you're sort of guessing in in my opinion so you know i personally jim fulton was the jim fulton and i call it the magic spreadsheet i've nicked it now for for sweet analytics, yeah. we call it the growth model, but it, it's, the, it's, the, it's the same thing to us. It's the principles awesome. are the same. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll explore that, I think, because I think I want to talk about the sweet analytics. But before we just get into that, just finishing off the white company experience, then was there a point within the white company where you got your growth got stuck? Like, did you, did you get stuck at like 5, 10, 20 million or... 
Yeah, we, we got we got stuck, um, you know, at that sort of second year when I realized I couldn't keep um, expanding the channels, um, uh, those those particular channels of uh, around cold lists and things like that. And that's when stores came in. I was there for six years, you know, we'd sort of picked off most of the, you know, those usual market town type places and we got a bit stuck then. Um, and and then, you know, the brand has then, you know, the other levers, you know, they pushed into America um, and we'd sort of looked at America and never, never quite done it. Um, I'd done Dubai um, as a way of adding international expansion. Um, so there were, you know, we hit we hit all the normal barriers you know channels channels maxed out from a marketing perspective you know channel can't open any more stores quite so easily around the corner and then you know we had to add the product bit so so you know constantly you know quite organically you know we hit the buffers and fortunately solutions popped into people's heads quite quite easily um And that's what made it, you know, relatively easy to, to we reached 50 million from six in, in five years. So, wow. yeah, we got going. And it's good, interesting that you say, you know, you had to bring in other product to increase the lifetime customer value. And that, I think, I, I think you know, fundamentally, the product that you have shapes lifetime customer value more than anything. Like you could have a, a like a terrible e-commerce site selling contact lenses and the lifetime customer value will naturally be much much better than an amazing website with great lifetime customer value incentives of a, a vip program a, you know a loyalty thing everything really going for it but it, you know it might be that they're buying a, a you know wardrobe for 800 pounds just not going to buy a wardrobe you know three times a year so the product is the biggest significant factor of life and customer value completely and, and actually it was I, I um i listened to your podcast you pleased to know the other day where you were recapping your seven kpis and 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 your point there about you know and I, i've run a furniture business subsequently you know if you're if your aov is a thousand quid you know your conversion rate's never going to be two and a half percent you know it, it's and, and the, it's the interplay of all these metrics that it actually is the whole you know, it's very difficult to provide a single formula. Someone rang me up the other day and said, you know, well, do I just need a business that, you know, has AOV of 50, 50 quid and, you know, has a repeat rate of this and, uh, and you know, what else, what other metric, how many customers can I acquire? And I was going, you know, those are all the right questions, but there just isn't a single formula yeah. that works. And as, yeah. you, and as you pointed out, in that, you know, your furniture example, you know, if it's, Product drives the whole the whole piece, um, and then your metrics have to be tailored back to um, mm. to what your industry and sector are. Yeah, definitely, isn't it? It's all it's all it's all understanding the maths, really, isn't it? You've got to understand the numbers. So, uh, so on that yeah. point, yeah, we were talking before about so it, so the white company obviously got it to fifty million, and then. And then what happened next? Then what you were talking about some challenges, some fun, interesting challenges. Well, I'm, not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure funds necessarily. Businesses that run and, and make lots of money are fun. Um, I've run a few businesses that haven't run so well and and didn't make lots of money. And you know, it's it's a very different um, uh, you know learn to be honest. I think for anyone running a business, 
you know, when you're on that role, it's it's easy. You make better decisions. You make more confident decisions. When 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 life's a bit tougher, and I I joined a, a private equity back venture um, called LV, um, and you know we had sixty concessions around around the country. And you know, going back to your product point, just you know, my real learn out of that was you know they used to sell blouses at sixty quid, uh, and we changed it and we sold. Uh, t-shirts at 24 quid and the customer loved it but Mm. the AOV dropped Mm. and it's that interplay of interplay of metrics so we had great customer metrics but actually money in the till at the end of uh, at the end of the month was never as much as it was before Um, and so you've always got to you know have that interplay uh, because you know as you say it all comes down to product and product then leads to average order value and repeat rates and all those, you know, yeah. rather boring sounding metrics. But, you know, as a retailer, those are actually what matters yeah. um, when it comes down to it. You know, sales in the till is, is what matters most, but yeah. how you understand that is is actually the key. Mm. The key. Yeah, it's, it is, isn't it? I mean, it, and it's it's the interplay between average order value and lifetime customer value is quite interesting. And, and I mean, ultimately, you're trying to be able to scale the business profitably like you did with the white company you know and you know it, 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 you know, you and we said before we talked about a couple of clients who had who were in the fortunate position where they've been able to ramp up their advertising spend online um and it and it and the roas stays you know so you know we and that's the gift you know you've got a business that you know you might spend i mean we were saying one client we're working with traditionally you know, they were spending maybe twenty thousand pounds a month, and they were getting, you know, a good return on ad spend, and they've slowly increased it, and now they're spending two hundred thousand pounds a month, and the the ROAS stays the same. You know, so it's great. I mean, exactly that, and it's so lucky if you do have that sort of straight line relationship running um, against as you as you increase the spend, and you know, there just isn't a magic formula, and I think you know. As I'm sure you did with the, with the, that example we were talking about, you know, you have to just increase spend, you know, in in steps, and hopefully your metrics stay the same. And then, you know, you have to be committed to and brave enough to keep turning up because, yeah. you know, as we always, you know, most people say, you know, if you give me a pound and you can give me three back, then people say do that all day. But it's 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 not it's not normally it's not always a straight line. No. You know, it isn't. And, and like you said, you know, you, you've got to then, you've got to tap on lifetime customer value to how, allow you to to have the confidence to do it. So, Yeah, yeah, and, and it's, it's, it's a really important thing and, and, and really also understanding what the overall objectives of the business are because, you know, if your cash flow can survive, you know, recruiting some customers at a loss and that actually, you, you understand that that's going to be better two years down the line, you know that that may be creating shareholder value, and and, yeah. and it that's really important. So yeah. you know, boringly, it comes back to the understanding of those numbers that yeah. is really key. I think across all businesses. Well, it's probably a pretty good time to to talk about about what you're finding with with Sweet Tooth Analytics, and and how and how all of your your knowledge is going. And you know what? Because when we talk, I'll just tee this up. From my perspective, is when, when we talk about um, analytics, and you know, there, there is a there is an overwhelming amount of data. You know, even in Google Analytics, 
and you know, and you don't you don't necessarily know where to look at, you know, and if you do know the things to look at, you don't know if your stats are good or bad, and um, and so we've been talking about suite analytics for a while for some of our own clients, and and so but. Before I say what my opinion are and why I think it's so important, what what's your what is it? Why is it why is it so valuable? And, and what what are the stories behind some of the clients that are using it? And what are they getting out of it? I, th I think it, it, it's it's very you know I started Sweet Analytics because you know I come from I think you know from our discussion just now you know I you know I come from genuinely coming from a retailer's background and I think understanding a few of the, the, the layers that, you know, a few of the things you need to put in place. And, you know, my base, you know, why, why I started it was I still think that the, the, the problem that people have at the moment is there's an increasingly large amount of data. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, you know, it becomes increasingly difficult for people to interpret it. So, you know, our outlook is we're coming from it from a, hopefully a, a true retailer's view which is ultimately you want to know how much money's in the till but then underneath that you need to be able to quite simply pair back into a into a set of data that explains what's going on and that's what we're we you know we're trying to get back to is, is deliver for people really simply insights into why they're doing well or not and you know all data is only really there to create some actions is then actually help people make some decisions mm. on, on what to do next. Because mm. otherwise, you know, I, I think my, my blue dashboards are beautiful, but they're, they're, they're no good if no one does anything with them. Mm. I think, yeah, I think, I think it's, you know, with, with, with Google analytics, the, the, it's fantastic, but the problem is you have a couple of inherent issues with it. You know, a, it doesn't know if a customer's new, so it, yeah. it, you know, it, it doesn't, you know, it just doesn't know whether or not they bought before. And the whole attribution conversation. I mean, I've spent years of my life talking about attribution modeling and how you do it, and first click versus last click, and 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 the fact that that Facebook is claiming X sale and and and, and AdWords is claiming the net. You know, if you add them all up. You know, you find that you know. You, oh my God, we only did at two hundred thousand pounds in a month, and and if I take what Facebook's telling me and AdWords, oh, we did seven hundred thousand pounds. You know, it's like it just doesn't make sense. So there's that conversation. As well. it, it it completely resonates with me because you know I've run businesses and I've had you know lovely afternoons where I've been round to the Facebook agency and they've told me we're doing really well, and then I've gone to the next agency and they've told me really well, and then you know I've quite often been involved with businesses have done offline channels as well mm. or even actually tv you know so I've, I've had a lovely afternoon and i've i've had a great time and <laughs> i've got about nine times more sales than i've actually got in the in, in the in the when i go back and think actually what did everyone tell me so mm. you know it, it, i think you know attribution is a really difficult topic topic and mm. it's particularly difficult at the moment you know with the where facebook is um yeah. at the moment um, it's just made it that, you know, even more difficult than it has been previously. Uh, so, you know, we are in a really difficult time for attribution. But ultimately, I think what, you know, most of our clients want to know is where do I spend the next pound? Mm. And what you've, in my opinion, what you've got to do is you've got to get as broad a view of 
as many data points as you can and then produce as neutral a view as you can on which ones you think are driving sales. Mm. And, you know, Google Analytics is obviously wonderful, but there are so many other touch points that come into, into a journey, whether it's, you know, discounts or is there a loyalty scheme or, you know, as I mentioned, is there offline activity that, that's also contributing? Mm. Um, it's just a, it's, it's a, you know, it's a complicated picture. And I think yeah. going back to one of your questions, the thing, you know, in a funny way, everyone's got more data than they've ever had before, but it's even more complicated than it has before. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's even before you throw marketplaces in. So, yeah. you know, it's even more difficult. Yeah, I, yeah, I know. And it, 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 and I think if you distill it down, you know, you, you know, if you think it, one of the things that Mark and I talked about was the six month recruitment rate. And we were, because, because obviously you're looking at conversion rate and you're looking at, um, at average order buy and last new customer buy and traffic. But, but unless you're looking at, well, how many new customers have we actually recruited? Um, you know, you might be think you might find that you're actually not recruiting new customers. It's just coming from your existing house file, and and the, at some point you're not you certainly you're not going to grow anymore because you look at the the previous you know the amount of new customers they're recruiting, and it's always less in you know in the previous period, and it's you know it's a problem. It's so important, and I think even you know going back to just and I'm not being you know making a comment too adversely to most of our people we all work with but you know understanding genuinely what new customers are driving and what existing customers is mm. still a stat that's not necessarily mm. in everyone's kpi pack mm. and you you have you know in our opinion you have to understand that you know with what we, we, we our version of your kpis is slightly different but you know the core metrics around you know aov around orders per customer well, everything's split always at new and existing level. Mm. You just have to know that to, to know what's really yeah. going on to yeah. us at a very top level, even. And and, and also and also the the question around well, how many more customers do we need to recruit in order to hit our growth targets? You know, if our existing customers continue to spend the same amount, and well, how many how many more do we need to get to top it up? And that and that's. That's fundamental, isn't it, to growth? Completely. And I think it's, it's a really interesting, you know, again, coming off where we have in the last couple of years, you know, most people have got an inherent rate of growth. Because most businesses, to be honest, if you're a direct consumer business and you keep going year on year, every year, all being equal, and, and, and normally analysis shows that things are pretty stable, to be honest, mm. that actually too, you've got an inherent rate of growth in just because you've existed for another lot year longer and you've got another X thousand customers in your pot. So mm. as long as they're not dropping out the bottom faster than they're coming in the top, mm. you've got some growth. But, you know, in order to, to, to know where you want to end up, you have to know what your acquisition number is. And that's normally for us, the, you know, the key, getting to that's the key number, I think. I think for any business... You know, whether you're wanting to go from hundred thousand to two hundred thousand, or ten million to a hundred million, you've got to have some understanding of those those numbers. Yeah, totally, totally. And and I think the other fascinating thing that's come up recently, more and more and more, is the conversation about about lifetime customer value. But I'll break that down into into two things. And it's because, and I say this because Mark and I have been talking to clients about this. It seems to be every meeting I have with them, I'm saying the same thing. And it, it goes something like this 
you know, what is your lifetime customer value like in general? So of the customers we recruited that were new you know, this time last November, um, how, you know, what's, their, what's their spend like in the next 12 months? And you then get that general picture. But then the interesting thing is, is to know what the lifetime customer value is by first product bought and how that influences it. And because that, that, that to me is one of the quickest ways to make your marketing budgets go further. That if, because if you're just looking at your, your return on ad spend just for the first purchase, you know, you've got, you know, okay, let's take the white company. You've got a candle versus a sheet. And, you know, they're both the same price. They're both the same margin. And the cost per acquisition is the same. But people who buy the sheet go ahead and buy five times a year. People who buy the candle only buy once a year. And, you, and if you don't do the analysis, you'll be spending the same amount of money to recruit both products. But obviously, it makes sense to spend more on the sheet because they buy five times a year versus the candle that only buys once. So you immediately then can make your marketing budget go further because you might decide, actually, we're not going to recruit on the candle at all. We're just going to leave that on our website and that becomes our retention product. But we're going to heavily go and push the sheets. That's quite hard to get that data out of a Magento, Shopify, WooCommerce, BigCommerce, whatever it is. That's actually quite difficult to do, but massively important. I think the, 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 you know, the analysis that combines customer and product is, you know, again, sort of goes back to the sort of, you know, must do category as far, mm. as far as I'm concerned, because, you know, going back to my example of, you know, selling blouses versus T-shirts to the same customers, you know, one business made a bit of money, one business lost lots of money. And, and you know, it is so important even before you come down to what's your recruitment product, mm. but just understanding your product metrics at all levels funny i bumped into a very nice you know very successful influencer-led business last night actually just and she hadn't had a great black friday and to be honest i didn't you know didn't say it but i've also been watching you know her website she hasn't brought out a new product for about mm. two years mm. so i wasn't quite sure what she thought she was going to sell them you know she was they, they were in the the want rather than need category mm. and i wasn't quite sure what she thought she was mm. her customers were going to want to come back and buy mm. and you know this whole intertwining of product strategy both from a recruitment but and existing customers you know if, if you, you know if you've got a product that you're not going to be able to sell lots of the same thing you have to have a you have to have a new category yeah. i mean that's why you know going back to my white company example that's why we had to do, do gift we had to do baby yeah. we had to do yeah we had to do things because you know we Otherwise, they wouldn't come back and buy yeah. a sheet. And, 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 and otherwise, you, know, you get the glass ceiling, don't you? You just, you just cannot get past because you can't, you can't recruit any more customers because you're just going to lose more and more money. So you, you have to fundamentally change it. And, and I think generally the main growth of e-commerce comes from business architecture rather than you know, a conversion improvement of changing the add-to-basket button. You know, it, it's fundamental business stuff that comes that you get a bigger game changing isn't it yeah i really like your your metric around add to basket to be honest i'm afraid that that's one i'm stealing so um <laughs> but, but it um because, but i think it, you know and you make the point there that you can talk conversion rate and you know you go back to what are the levers that you can really influence 
and and of course there's marginal gains in lots of different places but i, I always come back to the fundamentals of of you know which i think you highlight of average order value new customer acquisition and things like that and unless you get those right there, there isn't a magic formula and that's why i you know Again, I'm saying there isn't a magic formula, but every time I look at a business and, you know, it's got an under £30 average order value, mm. and unless it's got a really good repeat rate, it just doesn't allow yeah. you enough money to market it. Yeah. They're so, hard, aren't so they? Yeah. They're really hard. And so, you know, you just have to be understand what, what those metrics are, and maybe you need to be asking the question, you know, if your AOV is 70, how do I get it to 90? Mm. Because your business changes shape mm. massively at that at that point so it's all tied in with, with you know for me everything you know customer and product strategy are mm. all, all aligned yeah. and then you can't really disassociate one from another yeah um and you do have to be able to get to that information really easily because yeah. it, ain't, it ain't easy in in some of the sort of native e-com platforms yeah that's it, it yeah life to customer value is definitely one of the tricky ones and you're, you're absolutely right a lot of businesses don't monitor the the lifetime customer value and the new versus existing customer, you know, sort of naturally. Yeah, begin to feel we might be I might be repetitive on that topic. You might have to do some editing out just to say <laughs> so I don't do the same thing all the whole way through. Well, that Mark yeah. Mark accuses me of saying the same thing on the podcast over and over again. But you know, so because it because it comes down to fundamentals and and, and there isn't a magic wand. It is the fundamental metrics and maths of the business, and that's what you're saying. Same thing. Yeah, and it's not it's not a it's not a formula either, which is which I think really comes back to the product and the sensibility type of thing. You know, you have to there there has to be a you know the creative, the you know, all that part of creating the brand is also vital. You know, I, I, I would, you know, I'm say personally I'm quite good at the numbers part. I have a, a decent feel for brand, but we all know that businesses that really, really get going have that in mm. you know brand piece really nailed um mm. and it's it's the it's the combination of the two really yeah. that that makes yeah. a business yeah. you know, to run yeah. really absolutely right so um coming to the end of our podcast but okay. what would we would just say you know it was if there was if there was one well i've got two questions if there was one advice that you would give to anyone in e-commerce We've probably answered it. We're probably going to repeat this after. We should probably say, look at the numbers. Um, but I'll open that out. And so one question, what would be the one piece of advice of anyone now is listening to this? Because they're all e-commerce, they're all interested in it. They're all at different stages of their scaling journey. And what would you say? I think I'd say, you know, I am going to be a bit repetitive, but the, I suppose the slight, no, the slight nuance on that is you've got to be able to get to these numbers easily. Mm. Because... All of us, life moves too fast, and and the will to live goes. If you want, if you want to answer the question of did customers buy red dresses or yellow dresses this this, this week, and you put it into an analysis department, and it takes two weeks to come out, you know, if certainly if you're like me, you've forgotten the question you wanted to ask um, uh, that you asked, and you've got to be able to. So I think you know, without banging on just on the the same topics, for me, it's about speed of access to to information and then because you you don't act if you have to wait wait yeah. and it's weeks too to late an it's too late isn't it you look you know it takes you two weeks and then it takes you two weeks to, to look at it and then you go oh well that's what happened two months ago you know so and then, then, 
Yeah, when I ring you up, you've then had another week's holiday. And so, yeah. you know, the next weeks have got drifted past. And um, yeah, and that's why I wasn't being totally rude about that. But I was more <laughs> meaning about just, you know, as we know, you know, life moves on pretty fast. Especially and... with e-commerce, doesn't it? You know, in in the direct mail days, you know that you know, if you you committed to half a million brochure drop, you've committed. You can't change it. Whereas now online, you know, you could you could instantly change your your recruitment budget, your offer architecture, products you want to put in the feed, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Exactly, and I think the actually one of the interesting. Sorry, this probably isn't answering your question, but one of the other interesting thing I've found during the last eighteen months is is the wholesale businesses that have moved over to e-commerce, mm. and then for the fortunate ones where you know it's come back, you know it's a hell of a lot easier loading a pallet and shipping it off to a single customer, and they don't want you to make any adjustments on Saturday or Sunday. Well, you know, normal e-commerce retail, you know, direct consumer, I'm afraid, is seven days a week, mm. uh, doesn't let up. Saturday may be your most important day. And actually, I found, you know, that's a really important shift for people who I think haven't come from that direct consumer business that, unfortunately, it is all very instant. Mm. And it, you have, it's seven days a week, doesn't stop on, on, on Friday. Mm. Um, I think even running my own business now, I suddenly realized that, you know, for 20 years of having been a retailer, I didn't realize how my life was just dominated seven days a week because, mm. you know, it would be sunny and I'd think, oh, God, I'm not going to sell anything. So waiting for my sales figures was, you know, I never had a day, I don't think, where I had my mm. sales figures. So yeah. Um, yeah, very different direct to consumer. God, it's like, it's like, it sounds like being a fireman on duty 24-7 for 20 years. <laughs> and you seem to get quite a lot of fires as a retailer yeah. it never seems to it's, it's always nice when it doesn't doesn't uh, there aren't any fires and you can play cards somewhere else but um it's not not how it is i think Fine. yeah that's that's fascinating um well i think i think we'll i think i've i've really enjoyed that um we'll put on the show notes obviously we'll say how we can get hold of you but do you want to just what, what what's the best way to contact you that, that's really kind, Ian. Um, it's oliver.spark at sweetanalytics.com and our website is the same, sweetanalytics.com and contact us. And uh, you know, A bit like you asking me, who should you come to? Uh, I'll sort of perhaps, perhaps be at the front, but um, you know, much more efficient people than me to, to follow up afterwards. Yeah. No, awesome. Thanks. Thanks, Ollie. That's been awesome. Thank you very much. Right. Well, it's been a real pleasure, and I, I, I'll continue having your book by my bed. So, um, it's, it's, it's another, it's another, I obviously think that we've got some answers to how you grow a business, but I think you know the book is a really great way for people to, to get into you know understanding some pretty key key numbers. Also helps you fall asleep at night as well. <laughs> there's, a, there's, there's a podcast version of that that can really help. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Ollie. Great. Happy.